Welcome to the All In Gospel Bible Study. Each week, we move chapter by chapter through the Bible towards a comprehensive understanding of what the Bible teaches. All In Gospel is recorded live, featuring Dr. Sean Dickers. You can support this broadcast by subscribing. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, today, we're going to take a look at Psalm 119. Um, just a little bit of background introduction. Psalm 119 contains 176 verses, at least 171 of those. That's the conservative uh, consensus of those verses refer to God's Word. This is a praise and exaltation to the Word of God. Uh, it's also the longest chapter in the Bible. Um, it's similar in length to other books like Philippians, James, or Ruth. And doesn't that just make you excited that we're going to look at Psalm 119? 19 today. You think an hour and a half is long? Put your seatbelts on. When I was young, uh, when I first came to faith, I was challenged um, to read a proverb a day. And uh, my spiritual mentors would tell me that a proverb a day keeps the devil away. And I took that challenge. And it's cool because there's 31 chapters of Proverbs. There's one for every day of the month. So like, um, if you're faithful, um, you get to read through the book of Proverbs 12 times a year. And then, like, if you miss a day or two, like, if it's the third of the month, you just pick up, you're in Proverbs chapter 3, so on and so forth. It's just a no-brainer. I needed that in my youth because I have a limited amount of space in my brain. I didn't want to think about planning my morning reading. Shortly after I started doing that, I was uh, challenged by um, another one of my spiritual mentors to add five psalms a day on the logical rotation of the calendar. There's 150 psalms. You divide that by five, that's 30. So, example, on the first of the month, I would read Proverbs chapter 1, Psalm chapter 1, Psalm chapter 31, 61, 91, 121. And so then I could read through the psalms 12 times in a year. So I'm going to confess something that... Um, as I approached the 29th of each month, I started to get anxiety because that was Psalm 119 day. And as I've already said, that it's a very long chapter. I soon learned and fell in love with the book. And, and uh, my Bible probably has more markings in Psalm 119 than any other book. Uh, it's been a blessing to me personally. Uh, to ease your minds, uh, today we're going to be looking at um, Psalm 119, verses 105 to 112. And I want to continue a little bit more background. Um, and while I'm doing that, if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 119, uh, starting with verse 105. Um, some more unique things about um, Psalm 119. Um, it's unique in that it's written in an acrostic form. It consists of 22 sections with eight verses in each, and then each verse has two stanzas, two lines. Um, the 22 sections are all based around the Hebrew alphabet with 22 letters, starting with the first letter, and don't ask me to recite. I know none of them. Um, and so one of the, the things I think, too, that's interesting about it is that um, there's no... There's like no really continuity from chapter one to um, chapter 176 in terms of like, like there's no structural apparently like what you can see start to finish like we see in so many parts of scripture. But rather, um, one commentator um, kind of described um, each one of these sections as like a pearl in a string of pearls. You got 22 pearls 
um, and each one is a pearl in and of themselves. Um, and um, J. Vernon McGee, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, also pointed out something else I think that's worth mentioning. Um, the, I'm saying this for Sean, and he can correct me if I'm wrong, but he's always doing the numbers thing, like the significance of numbers. But the fact that each um, one of these pearls is um, has eight verses, uh, Dr. J. Vernon says that um, the number eight is a significant number um, in that it represents life and renewal and rebirth. And he uh, reminds us that uh, Jesus was actually raised from the dead on the eighth day. And so uh, that number eight is fitting for a book that's permeated with the praise, celebration, and elevation of God's word, which gives us our life. We learn of Christ. We learn of eternal life through God's word um, in so many other ways. Luke uh, 8.11 says, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. I love that because a seed is planted in the ground, it dies, and then out of that seed springs life. Um, word of God is like that. Uh, Romans ten seventeen says, uh, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Furthermore, that faith in the word of God is how we are saved from death. For by grace are you saved through faith. Faith in what? The promise of God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is proclaimed in God's word. 1 Peter 1.23, uh, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So the theme of this 119 is the word of God. All right, so we're going to take a look at the 14th pearl. Um, none, whatever that means. It's one of the letters. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and read it through, and then we're going to go uh, verse by verse, uh, starting with uh, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. I am afflicted very much. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, I pray, the freewill offering of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your judgments. My life is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not strayed from your precepts. Your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever to the very end. So just as a recap, there's uh, six references, different words used in these eight verses uh, to the word of God. The first one is word. It's used twice. Uh, word simply means like speech, uh, a saying, an utterance. We know and we refer to the Bible as God's word. It refers to it itself as well. Uh, judgments are used twice in these verses. Judgments are uh, justice, rightness, righteousness. Um, the word law that's used is um, in the in the Hebrew, it's Torah, Torah, we know that word, um, and that's used to um, describe the Pentateuch, which are the first five books of the Bible. Precepts um, can be used collectively for just the law in general. You can think of just law, as precepts as laws. Uh, testimony literally means a witness, um, to tell somebody and to bear witness to. Um, used throughout Exodus and Numbers, um, that particular word is used to refer to the Ten Commandments. Um, and then the word statutes is an ordinance or a law in general. So those are the words um, that are in this section. Um, I, I 
see those words and I hear those words and I love the fact that God is perfect in all of his judgments, in all of his laws, and, and I see and I look around the world and I yearn for justice, rightness. I, 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 without going into detail, I get tired of hearing false testimony every time I turn around to hear something that I don't care about, or that's against God's word. All right, so uh, let's start with verse 105. Um, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's a familiar verse to many of us. It's one of my favorite verses. I want to take a look at the two words there, um, lamp and light. Uh, The word lamp is ne'er in the Hebrew, and it means a lamp or a candle. Uh, today we might use the word flashlight. If you live in Great Britain, you would use the word torch. I have a visual aid because I'm a middle school teacher by trade. This is actually um, a lamp, oil-burning lamp, that they would have used back, back in biblical times. I picked this up in Israel a little over a year ago when I was there. Uh, you put oil in there and you got a little wick and you light it. So in the middle of the night, because... We have lights in our houses right now. The lights go if we need to get up and use the restroom. They didn't have that. So they would light this lamp or maybe they would keep it burning and they would grab it and they would walk to their house being very careful not to set the house on fire. I'm glad for modern technology. But lamps are small lights. Lamps are rays of light. Lamps um, lamps help us focus on kind of the, the nitty gritty. Uh, then the other word there, um, and a light to my path, that word light is uh, in the Hebrew aura, and um, it means light in every sense of the word. Um, it's used literally, it's used figuratively, and what I think is cool is um, that same word is used in the first three verses in Genesis. On day one of creation, Genesis 1, verses 1 through 3, I'll just go ahead and read them. It says that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was without form and void, And darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God created light. Doesn't talk about a source. Aura. It's light. Manitou Springs, Colorado, the base of the Rocky Mountains, there's a cave called Cave of the Winds. Um, I took a tour of it once. And uh, we, we got deep into the thing, and we came to this cavern, and the lights were hidden. It was just illuminated, right? The lights were behind stuff. And they're talking, they're giving their spiel, and they said, well, we want to prepare you something, because in a minute we're going to turn the lights out, and you're going to experience something that you probably don't normally experience. And they turned the lights out, and it was like blackness. I, I don't know how to describe it. It was creepy blackness. Like, you think about night, you get up, you've always got some shape, some form, degree of light coming from someplace. Um, and I think about that every time, like, I read that first chapter, darkness was on the face of God created light. Um, there is another reference to light um, in Genesis that I think is very much worth mentioning. Um, it's not either of these two. It is a form of aura. Um, and on day four of creation, Genesis 1.16 says this, is that then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser to rule the night. He made the stars also. So the word for light there is ma-ora, form of ora, um, and it's more specific 
um, in its meaning in that it refers to like heavenly, heavenly luminaries like the sun, the moon, and the stars. Sun to rule by day. By the way, did anyone see the sun dogs today? Yes. Oh, man. We're driving here. The sun dogs were just amazing. I'm thinking, you know, the theme today is, is light and life. And I'm like, God, thank you. Just for a little beautiful, like, reminder of your light and your beauty. Anyways, I digress. So the sun, moon, and the stars. Um, but verse 5 uses the bigger, broader word for light. Um, why? I don't know. <laughs> maybe because you can't miss it. Um, maybe because it's the kind of light that's just self-evident. And maybe, maybe it's also the kind of light that just illuminates everything. And so as we move forward, we know that light is used figuratively. It's used literally. And we're going to take a look at some of those verses. Um, 1 John 1.7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, Jesus, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Isaiah 2.5, O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. God is light. So we have big picture light that lights our path. And we also have smaller focus light that lights our feet. Um, I want to just give an example and dwell on just a little bit more um, before we continue through this um, part of Psalms. Um, path lights. I just want to take a look at that. So what I mean the path light, the big picture light, um, it shows direction, um, shows us where we're going. I think of things like lighthouses. I love split rock lighthouse and you think of the ships and how important before modern navigation was for them to see a light. Um, I think, you know, constellations, um, the sailors throughout the ages have had to rely upon the constellations, the stars to guide them, to show them the direction so that they could keep going and they knew the direction that they were traveling in. Um, I learned how to find the North Star um, when I was a youth as in the Boundary Waters when we take trips up there in case somebody got lost. Um, at least if I knew where the North was, I could find the West and I could traverse my way over to Lake Superior or St. Croix River and I could find my way back home. Um, as a 14-year-old boy, um, important markers to help us with direction. I also think of mountain peaks. I had the, the joy of living in Colorado Springs for about six years back in the early 90s, and I lived at the base of the Rocky Mountains. Um, Pikes Peak is right there, and Pikes Peak is unique in and of itself and kind of what it looks like all mountain peaks are. Um, and in the early days of settling, moving west in this country, the settlers would use um, things like that. They would definitely use the mountains. If they were heading, they saw the ridge of the mountains, they were, knew they were heading west. If they could pick out a particular peak, they could see that. One of the cool things about Pikes Peak, um, it's very clear out there in that part of the country. Uh, sun shines 300 plus days out of the year. So night or day, the peak is always illuminated. Um, I... I climbed that peak. I loved climbing that peak. It's about 26 miles round trip, 13 up, 13 down. And uh, you always know where you're going when you start because you can see the peak, right? So that's the destination. Um, uh, foot lamps, the other type of lamp, foot lamps used to navigate the details, the specific issues, problems, pitfalls, or challenges. I think what we need for that, we need torches, we need candles flashlights, headlamps. I got a buddy 
number, quite a number of years ago when he turned 50, um, his goal was to run an ultra marathon, a 50 miler. And he did it up. It was part of the grandma marathon thing up there. And he did a 50 miler. He trained for it for years, getting ready for it. And I was part of his team. And, um, so we went up there. And so the day before we kind of looked at the trail and the trail was, was wooded along there. And, um, it was treacherous, like the rocks, the rocks, there were fallen limbs. This is just the part that we kind of looked at. You had tree roots in it. Um, treacherous, especially if you're doing 50 miles, you get tired, right? You got to really be careful. Um, but he started like at about 5.30 a.m. And he was the last one to come in. He finished at 11 p.m. at night. A good portion of his run was done at night. And I thought he was goofy because when he started out, he had this goofy like headlamp on his head. And I see now why he needed it because he needed a lamp when he was in the dark to navigate and traverse the very specific obstacles that were in his way. He knew the path, right? The path was there and they had, they had checkpoints, right? The big path, he had no problem with that. But in order for him to get to the end of that path, to follow his path, he needed light to guide him along the way to navigate the pitfalls. God gives us lamp light. He also gives us path light. Um, I just want to take a minute. You know, there's a lot of paths that we can choose to follow in life, many paths. And I think there's been many paths, me personally, that I've followed in my life journey just in general before coming to faith. Um, but there's only one true path, and that's God's path. Matthew seven thirteen says, um, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Verse 14, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and few there be that find it. We know as believers that Jesus Christ is the light. John 8, 12 says that, Then Jesus spoke again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. John 9, 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus is also the path. He is our path. John uh, 14, 6, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Um, by the way, if I repeat a verse, I apologize. I have 15 pages of notes here. And it's been a, an absolute joy prepping this personally. Um, and I've tried to clean this up. Um, so lamplight is next. Um, but how does God's word function as a lamp to our feet? And how does it help us navigate the nitty gritty of life? And so I think the rest of this, um, I see a lot of, of, of the path light direction in the rest of this section um, of Psalm 119. Uh, starting with verse 106, um, the psalmist says, I have sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. So the psalmist determined ahead of time his belief and commitment to the judgments of God. I think that's really important. He determined ahead of time. He didn't wait until like he, he something came upon him. He determined the way he was going to go. In my experience, trouble comes from bad judgment often, <laughs> whether it's by choice or ignorance or carelessness. Um, 
It's about bad judgment. But following God's judgment keeps us from a multitude of problem, multitude of sin. Um, I'm a middle school teacher, and I see kids growing up learning how to exercise judgment. Hilarious at times, sad at times, comical at times. Um, My comment to my students is this, and this is kind of one of my mantras. Live in such a way as to have no regrets. I love my kids. Middle school, 6th, 7th, and 8th. 7th is my favorite grade. Um, And kids will do something. They'll be like, Mr. Hulk, Mr. Hulk, I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm sorry. And my response to them is always, well, don't be sorry. Be good. And then we go into this little chat about, you know, Let's think this through, and maybe we can determine ahead of time how we're going to respond next time, and we'll learn from this. Live in a way that you don't have to have regrets. I coached wrestling for many, many years. Um, Before I applied this in a life way, I I used this personally as an athlete, and then with my wrestlers, too, was one of my foundational things that I tried to teach them. Um, I'd tell them, like, first day of practice, I'd tell them this. I said, you know... When we get to the end of the season, when things really count and you're really put to the test and, and you're going you're gonna to try to achieve those great high goals that you have for yourself right now, um, I don't want you guys to have regrets. And so I want you to think about this one thing. Um, you can't put in what you left out three months down the road. You skipped practice. Um, you didn't do your best. You blew something off. You can't go back and redo that. And also, you can't undo what you just what you've put in when you get to that point. So I want you guys to train in such a way every moment of every day so that when you get to the end of the line, you have no regrets. You have no regrets. We live in a culture that's removed God from the public discourse. Um, we see before our eyes continuously bad judgment, bad behavior, and it's elevated, it's glorified, it's made righteous. Next time you surf the web, or next time you watch the news, next time you watch a movie, try something. Make a list of every action, statement, and message that's contrary to what God says is right. It's shocking. It's shocking. And you know what? For people that haven't decided ahead of time, that don't know the truth, and haven't sworn, right, that they're going to determine in their heart that they're going to keep the God's righteous judgments, they get swept up in that. They get swept up in that. It's shocking, the messages we see outside of God's world, word in our world. Contrast that with um, what God says is right and burn it into your memory. Determine, confirm ahead of time how you will live your life. Um... I guess my question is, personally, and for you too, is how then shall we live in this crazy world? How will we respond to the spirit of our time that makes right wrong and wrong right? Bombards us with lie after lie continuously. Ephesians 5.8 says, For you were once darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Never once have I met anybody that ever regretted doing the right thing. 
Verse 107. I'm afflicted very much. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. The word afflict there, um, ana in the Hebrew, it means to be occupied. To be bruised with, to afflict, to oppress, but to be occupied. Um, looking to God in his word, the psalmist here says that he's afflicted very much. And the fact that he added the very much says that he was afflicted greatly. Um, and when he was, he looked to God's word, and I would say in his darkest hour. Um, what struck me in the meaning of this word was the opening idea of being occupied. Um, it makes me think of a hotel room, a building, a meeting room, a country taken over by another country, or a simple illustration of a bathroom stall. I know the last thing that you want to see when you walk into the restroom and you need it badly is to read the word occupied on the door because you're not getting in. The person that's in there is not unlocking that door either. In every case, unless you're the occupier or the occupying tenant, you're not getting in. But here, the psalmist says that he is afflicted, he's occupied with a great affliction. I, um, I'm, a, I'm a landlord, and um, I've had a bad tenant or two. Um, and uh, it's, it's tough. It's difficult to get rid of a bad tenant. And when you do, oftentimes you, you take a hit in doing it. Um, All right, I need to regroup my thought. All right, so when we become occupied with our affliction, our heart is taken over by, by that one thing. It could be grief, could be guilt, could be worry, could be depression, anger, self-hatred. That's my favorite over the years, destructive. It could be a lot of things. Whatever it is, when it takes over, it digs in and it leaves no room for anything else. I am afflicted very much, says the psalmist. What's important here is where the affliction, where the afflicted sought help. We don't, <clears throat> there's many places in our culture to look for help. Trials, temptation, hardship come to us all. In our darkest hours, where do we find help? I just want to share you guys something real personal. Um, I've shared this to a certain degree with some of you in the past, but my darkest hour um, of my life came in my 18th year. Um, I was a lost soul. I was a young man trying to figure out life without faith, without the knowledge of God. And in a short season of depression and disillusionment, I made a series of reckless choices that left me literally on the edge of insanity in a psych ward at Bethesda Hospital in St. Paul, Minnesota. I was there as a result of, to put it lightly, I would say a youthful indiscretion <laughs> involving the use of a drug called angel dust. And uh, if no one's ever heard of angel dust, I'm glad, but it's basically horse tranquilizer, and it's a form of PCP. Um, it was a thing in the 1970s. We weren't so smart back then. Uh, drug use wasn't my habit growing up, and it didn't become my habit after that either. But for a two- or three-month period during the end of my senior year of high school, I became disillusioned with life and depressed, 
and I went looking for answers in all the wrong places. And eventually I just stopped caring, and that was a bad place to be. I was greatly afflicted. When I read this verse, I think of that great affliction. And I've had other afflictions like we all have, but that was my moment of great affliction. The angel dust experience was a one-time thing, but it broke me in ways that I never thought possible. It distorted and altered my perception of life and the very nature of existence. Greatly afflicted doesn't even describe my distress. The details aren't worth the breath or the time to explain them, but it was my darkest hour and I was consumed. I was held captive. I was occupied by this distorted perception and delusional thought. What I think's worth saying in all of it, though, is that I came to a saving faith in Christ as a result. It was the turning point in my life. It was the point at which I became a new creature. It was the point at which I first saw the light of God. And it was thanks to a friend who took the time to share the gospel with me just a few months earlier. In my darkest hour, God reminded me of my friend and the message of salvation that he carried. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I found Jesus during my stay in the hospital, and my heart was changed with the hope of a true and new path in life. The occupation of oppression was replaced by the Spirit of God and the hope of my salvation. The psalmist prayed in his affliction that God would revive him according to his word. The word revive there is haya, and it means to live, to have life, to remain alive, to sustain life, live prosperously, live forever, be quickened, be alive, be restored to life and health. I think it's also worth noting here that um, inherent in the prayer request for revival is faith. The belief that God's word is able to revive and to restore. I want to say one thing about my affliction and and the repercussions of it. Um, I wish I could say that my cognitive and my emotional health was immediately restored back then when my faith was born out of that moment, but it wasn't changed immediately. My affliction left me with hidden wounds, not easily explained to others, unexplainable perhaps. But fortunately, God understands and miraculously, God gave me a few specific tools to navigate my new path, tools to address and heal those wounds. The first one, which is just a dear, dear ray of light, 2 Corinthians 10.5 Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. <coughs> I think about that and I just think, wow. You know what God did with that verse? And the trust and faith in that verse is that God gave me permission by the authority of His Word to boot the evil, destructive occupants in my mind and replace them with thoughts that honored Christ. This was, this was a powerful lamp light to my feet at a time when I needed it. It was very specific, very targeted. And God knew what I needed. He gave me that verse. 
another verse in those early years to overcome this stumbling block, this navigate this part of my path and my new journey was 2 Timothy 1.7. For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Amen. Those tools were the promises of God and they became lamps to my feet in my early walk with Christ. Not only did they give me, get me through, but they also healed and gave me victory over some very odd and extremely and extreme stumbling blocks of my own creation. These were just a few of the beautiful rays of light that God gave me as I began to travel my path. We don't know what afflicted the psalmist. Apparently, we don't need to know because it doesn't matter. Pain and affliction come to us all on many different levels and in many different ways. Maybe, maybe you're recalling or recalled your darkest hour. Maybe you're going through an affliction right now. Maybe you're recounting the ways. (laughs) Maybe you're recounting the ways that God revived your heart in those afflictions of the past. Regardless of where you've been or where you're at in your journey, no matter what the affliction, God's word has what you need to revive and reoccupy your heart. Reoccupation for God. I love that. Verse 108. Except I pray the free will offering of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your judgments. First thing I see here is a heart that yearns for God's acceptance. The word acceptance here in the Hebrew is ratzah, and it means to be pleased with, be favorable to, accept favorably. We're all wired differently. I see it in my students. I see the way they respond. Um, The way they approach and interact with me and with others is varied. A number of them consistently seek my approval. Much, much of that is well-intentioned. And after, (laughs) sorry, they seek my approval. And much of that's well-intentioned. After all, I'm the teacher, and they just want to make sure that they're getting it right. I love the people-pleasers. I can spot them immediately, and I understand them because I'm a people-pleaser. But here the psalmist's deepest desire for approval, except I pray, is directed rightfully. And it's directed solely to God. Second, there is a heart that freely gives back to God. I've been a middle school teacher for 25 years. Um, Call me weird because I've loved every minute of it. I love it because God has given me a heart for it and for my students. I love the good kids, the naughty kids, the quiet kids, the sad kids, the bouncing off the wall kids. Most of all, I love the weird kids. I love it because I love my students and I love the privilege of being there to help guide them through the bizarre years of early adolescence. I get to encourage, direct, and help them become better learners, thinkers, and problem solvers as they navigate their world of crazy. Teaching's a sacred trust, and I've always held it close to my heart. It's a labor of love. 
Although there are many intrinsic rewards, the single greatest treasure to me is when students pop in or approach me on their own without provocation just to say hi or chat me up and tell me about their day, good or bad. Um, they come in willingly, um, freely, and it blesses my heart. All that to say, when a kid comes freely, it's just such a blessing. And I wonder sometimes when I think about that, I don't feel I express that as well enough, but I wonder how God feels when we come to him just because we want to, willingly, freely, not out of obligation. Psalm 51:17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. In Hebrews 13:15, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to him. Then Psalm 107, 22, let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. Finally, in this verse, um, there's a willingness to learn God's judgment. Um, there's a surrender here. Except I pray the free will offering of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your judgments. A willingness to learn from God's judgments. The surrender to be taught willingness to be taught to change to change old paradigms old ways of thinking there's also a willingness to give up our fleshly ways for something much better to replace them with God's standards and with his thinking I love what Paul the Apostle Paul says about putting on the new man Ephesians 4 17 through 24 this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of your mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not learned so in Christ, if indeed you've heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And that's what happens when we desire to be taught of God. Verse 109, my life is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. Um, I love this verse. This verse to me is a sobering um, reminder, a recognition of our free will and of choice. And it's a reminder to persevere in choosing God's ways. I don't know about you guys. When I came to faith, I held on to that. And I walked closely for many, many, many years. And then as I got comfortable, I began to lose focus. Um, I think about the tradition of New Year's resolutions. Usually good things like weight loss, better eating habits, commitment to exercise, spending more time with family and friends. Um, you probably have others. We just got beyond New Year's. My experience with New Year's resolutions is that eventually that they break down. And that breakdown is directly related to the strength of my will in the matter. But what manifests in my life over time, good or bad, are the things I truly care about in my heart. Not the idea of any of them, but the things I hold on to and value. And those things determine my choices. 
The psalmist said that his life is continually in his hand, yet I do not forget your law. There was a change. There was something that the psalmist valued in his heart. It wasn't a one-time thing, and it was a continual choice. I love chocolate chip cookies, bacon, butter, cream, sugar, cake, brownies, donuts, french fries, sitting in front of the TV for hours on end, passing on a gym visit because I'm too tired, avoiding people, including family, because it takes too much effort and to engage them, not saying any of these things are bad in and of themselves. Treats are good, Grant, because sometimes... And also, sometimes we need rest, and sometimes we're just not ready to meet the world. There's balance and perspective in most things. Here's my point. We serve our gods, small g. And in serving them, we choose continuously. We choose continuously. My life is continually in my hands. I think one of the most sobering and one of the most cool realizations for me was when I realized that I'm a creature of volition. And those of you that don't know that word, I had to look it up. It has to do with choice. We are creatures that have a free will. God made us this way, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And we're accountable. But sin and carnal living clouds that volition because it takes us over. takes us over because when we give ourselves to it, we start to act upon our appetites. We begin to act upon the things that we've given ourselves over to. We're still choosing, but it doesn't feel like it because the desire for choosing, whatever it is, you fill in the gap. I have my own stuff. The desire of whatever is so powerful that we give in. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. The danger of sin is we forget the powerful tool of choice God has given each of us. Sometimes we just need a reminder, a wake-up call to this truth to get us back on track. I think of the need for diligence in keeping our heart. Proverbs 4, 23, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issue of life. Our lives are continually in our hands. We choose continuously. Another thought, a final thought on this verse, is that we serve what we worship. And the strength of our will is rooted in that thing that we serve and in our worship. In order to proclaim a continual adherence to the law of God, the psalmist had to have settled his own heart somewhere along the line and put God first in his life. His life was continually in the hands, in his hands, and he chose God's law. He chose God's law, and he chose God's way. Verse 110, the wicked have laid a snare for me. By the way, can you see now how like the 29th of the month got me like, oh my God, we've gotten through like what? A handful of verses? 29th of the month made me nervous. Yeah. All right. Verse 110. We're getting there. The wicked have laid a snare for me. I have not strayed from your precepts. Man, when I read this verse, I thought about Dan the hunter. I thought about my other buddies who are hunters and fishermen. 
And uh, I don't know a lot about snares and traps and hunting except for what I learned from my buddies who do it. Snares are traps that are set along the way. Hunters put them in often traveled paths of their prey. They study it. They know it. They know where those deer are going to be, where the pheasant might most likely be feeding. The best place is to fish. And they bait. They bait their traps with food, shiny objects. Why a fish goes after a lime green worm, I have no idea. <laughs> but they give them the promise of something that's desired by that animal, something that catches their eye, allures them in some way, shape, or form. Good hunters' snares are well-designed and they're thoughtfully deceiving and alluring to the desired prey. 1 Peter 5.8, I love this verse, tells us, you and I, the Christian, who need to avoid snares. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Wow. Galatians 5.1 Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ hath made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. God wants us to avoid snares and traps. 2 Peter 2.20 For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. The danger of falling back into the snares. We live in quite a time. There are many snares in our modern culture for all of us saved, unsaved, mature not so mature none of us are immune our culture is powerful the powerful media visuals the spirit of our time which is not godly it's hard to navigate life today without experience without experiencing snares to one degree or another, especially for those of us who came to faith later in life, for those of us who may have lost our way for a time. But it's wonderful to know that whatever degree or circumstance any of us have fallen or may fall, that God is merciful. I think one of the first verses I ever learned was this. 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's true because of Jesus Christ and His death on the cross. So, how does one avoid a snare? Do we study the snare? I don't think so. I don't think so. I love the example of like the FBI counterfeit guys in the old days, you know, when they were training people on how to spot a counterfeit $100 bill. They didn't study the fakes. They studied the real thing. They knew what the exact right true markers of each one of those real bills were so that when they saw a counterfeit, they knew it. They recognized it because it didn't look like the real thing. They studied the real thing and they immersed themselves in the real thing. 
think that's what the psalmist is saying here. The wicked have laid a snare for me. You know, preemption, being preemptive, is one of the best ways to avoid a snare. You know, this guy wasn't looking at all the shiny objects in the world. You know why? Because he wasn't strained from the precepts of God. The adherence to God's precepts, right living, that's what keeps us out of the path of the devil's snares. Simply put, we need to know and live in obedience to the word of God. That's our greatest protection. And that becomes a tremendous lamp to our feet to avoid those pitfalls. So if the world and the wicked have laid traps for us, number one, First, we need to recognize it by knowing God's word. We need to learn diligence in viewing life from God's perspective. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issue of life. I don't know about you. I love that verse, and I don't know about you, but that's like a full-time job with me. That heart just wants to go astray all the time, and when I'm on, I'm just on it. I'm like, get back in line, heart. Think about this, these things that are true and just and right, the things of God. Secondly, we need to keep ourselves from temptation. We need to be diligent and abiding. James 1, 13 through 15, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, diligent and abiding. James, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. We need to abide in the Lord. The wicked, the ungodly, no matter how, familiar or luring are not the friends of God's children. They're not our friends. The end of their influence in our lives is death. And if our friends are influencing us away from God, they're not our friends. No matter how pleasurable, no matter how interesting it seems to us right now, Sin is alluring, and for a season, it can be fun. But the end of those things is not good, and it's not for your benefit. And God wants each of us, each of us, to walk according to his ways and his will so that we might be kept from the snares that can destroy us. Verse 111. Your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. I love the word, the words I have taken. Um, they're the way that we access the things of God. We take them, we choose them, we accept them, we believe them, we embrace them, and we make them our own. We take possession, we acquire it. Did I make my point? <laughs> Your testimonies I've taken as a heritage forever. I've took them. God wants us to take them. It's an action of the heart. James 1.21, Therefore I lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the, impl the implanted word which is able to save your soul. 
The psalmist has taken the testimony, the witness of God, and he's gained an inheritance. What is our inheritance as believers? What has God testified to us about our heritage? What do we know that the psalmist didn't know? We know something the psalmist didn't know about our heritage. You know what it is? John 1, 12 and 13. But as many as received him, that's Jesus. Psalmist didn't know who Jesus was. He didn't know the name. But as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Romans 8, 15. For, he, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Simply put, our heritage is that we become the children of God and we inherit and we are part of the kingdom with him. Along with that inheritance, this is a cool thing, this is a sidebar. Along with the inheritance, we get the fruits of the Spirit. Romans 8.23, not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. I don't know if I can say this right now, but I'm going to say it. My wife's going to, I know my wife's taking notes right now. It's going to be like, you should have said this, you should have said that. No, not really, honey. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I can say this right now, but my favorite fruit of the Spirit is joy. Can I say that stuff? You're like the expert. I don't know. <laughs> At least it's in my top three. Love, joy, peace. It's in my top three. That might be biblical. I don't know. Psalm 89, 15, blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. The claiming of God's testimony by the psalmist left to, led to what I read that it led to rejoicing, rejoicing of his heart. Finally, verse 112, we'll wrap up. Um, I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever to the very end. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever to the very end. Um, I feel like this is a fitting verse to end the passage, my first teaching session at Calvary Chapel White Bear, also known as All in Gospel, because the psalmist here declares his intent, his active choice to live in the light of God's word, to walk in the path of God's ways forever, and he adds to the very end. That sounds to me like he was saying, I'm all in for God, forever to the very end, forever to the very end. It seemed redundant to me at first, but I think it makes a point. To the very end maybe refers to his earthly life and forever refers to eternity because eternity never ends. Joshua 24, 23, Now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. Joshua 24, 15. And if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. Very familiar verse. A verse that at times in my life has really challenged me. And I, I think... This is just me, but I think that somewhere along the line for each of us, for each of us in our journey as we travel God's path for our life, we reach a tipping point 
in which we must choose the level of our commitment to God. Choose you this day. I know that's been the case for me. The word incline is an interesting word, and I think it's worth mentioning. Um, Nata, it means to stretch out. It's also translated as pitch, as in pitching a tent. Okay? So I have pitched my heart tent to perform your statutes. I love the picture of pitching tent. Um, when you pitch a tent, it takes effort because you got to unpack all your stuff. You got to plant. You got to plant yourself in a specific place. My experience pitching tents happened in camping trips. Pitch a tent for a day or two, but in the days of old in the Middle East, pitching a tent was something more permanent because your tent was actually your home and where you pitched it, when you pitched it, you settled in, you unpacked all your earthly belongings and you went on living your life. After Jacob wrestled the angel of the Lord shortly after that and he went in and met his brother Esau, um, it's kind of the same time of Jacob's life when he kind of had his aha moment where he went from Jacob to Israel. God gave him a new name after Jacob, who is now Israel, had come full circle in his life. He returned home to the land of his blessing and his birthright. He made peace with his brother Esau and he settled his faith, I would say. He pitched his tent near Shechem in the land of promise. Genesis 33, 18 through 20. Then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. When he came from Padan Aram, and he pitched his tent before the city, and he bought the parcel of land where he had pitched, same word, nata, where he had pitched, inclined, his tent. Then he erected an altar where he called it and called it El Elohi Israel. He made his home and he honored God in it. Jacob was home, and once there he pitched his tent, set up the altar to God. Likewise, the psalmist inclined or pitched his heart to do God's will, to follow God's word. As we close today, I just want to ask one question. This and this is it, you guys, one question. Where does your heart live? I ask myself the same question, and I'll ask it in a different way. Where have I pitched my heart. If we're like the psalmist, we can say, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I've sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. I am afflicted very much. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, I pray, the free will offering of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your judgments. My life is continually in my hand. Yet I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not strayed from your precepts. Your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever to the very end. Let's pray. God and Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. God, I thank you for... Um, 
your word. I thank you for the blessing of it. I thank you that it keeps us on the path. It shows us the way to navigate our lives. Lord, um, I just pray uh, for each one today. Lord, just um, bless them. Bless this time. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.